Welcome to the Kitchen Sink Meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Starting in July 2021, the meeting will be hybrid. You will still be able to attend the meeting via Zoom. Please go to the Los Angeles Intergroup's webpage at oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. Okay, good morning everyone. And uh, I am Dulcie and I'm a grateful compulsive overeater. Good to see all your smiling faces. And um, I'm in uh, uh, Sedona, Arizona, and I got a call from my longtime friend, Laura O, who said, can you possibly cover tomorrow at, in, uh, at, the, at the morning meetings? So she had something else to do, so I'm sure you'll get her another time. But um, I just want to get the numbers out of the way because, um, you know, numbers were important to me when I got here, uh, especially the weight numbers. But my top weight was 270 when I walked into your rooms on March 27, 1976. And if I've done anything right at all in this program, I haven't left. That's the one main thing I haven't left. And I've taken direction. And... um Today I weigh, uh, yesterday I weighed 128.9 because I have a digital scale, you know. Uh, is it still important to me? Yes. And the reason is it's an outer manifestation of my spiritual and emotional condition. And, um, I, uh, was 30 years in Los Angeles and I left, I retired from the film industry in, five and moved to Sedona and so uh, these virtual meetings are really really valuable to me and um, uh, I've been able the blessing of this program to think when I got here uh, I lived over near Western and Franklin and it was pretty rough then I'm sure it's still a little rough now but uh, my first meeting was over there on New Hampshire my first OA meeting um, that that day, um, March of 76, and I walked into the room, and it was in a church, and that was very upsetting to me. I didn't want anything more to do with religion. I'd been very, very religious as a child, and I had thrown God out with that religion and that belief system. Walked into the room, and there sat a woman that did it for me, and she had a picture. She had weighed the exact uh, amount of weight that I did um, and she was sitting there at goal weight and she passed that picture around. I wanted what she had and she talked about um, things that I had no interest in at all which was finding a God um, the other thing she talked about was feelings and resentment and anger I hadn't a clue what she talked about and but she had what I wanted she got that weight off and I had known how to, I'd gotten it off before in my life. I was a, a fat child and went through all the things that any of you who were obese young know about, you know, all the uh, name calling and not being able to fit in regular other clothes that my peers were wearing. And I'd have to go to the, my mother would go to the heavy woman's store and then hem them up for me in the little town I lived outside of Buffalo. And, um, I grew up on um, doing diets on um, diet, you know, when, when tab finally came, I think I had the first bottle of tab in the town. I think I had the first, um, 
box of whatever that was that we the caramels they told us would get our weight down not when you eat the whole box but anyway i am a um uh as as uh, one of our members used to say in the valley up there in los angeles i'm an x-ray x-rated compulsive overeater um you know i did eat out of garbage cans i did eat out of dumpsters even i remember at an aa meeting because i also qualify i'm 43 years sober and april fools and um i remember going to aa meetings uh and in my early years um um and before i as i was still slipping my first seven years but my back-to-back um abstinence is um april 15th of 83 i have not had to binge i have not had to have sugar i have not had to break my abstinence and uh anyway i'd go to aa meetings and when they they had those big things with the brown stuff on it and they'd cut it for birthdays and and of course we in oa we would take an apple with a candle on it or a grapefruit or something of that nature but after the meeting was over they didn't even eat all the cake and they'd throw it in the dumpster and i'd wait till everybody drove out of the parking lot and i would go back and drag that big sheet thing out of the you know so i'm x-rated anyway as probably many of you were um and i think i want the I think there's, I'm supposed to pick a topic. I'm not sure, but if it is, I think I want to talk about divine intervention. Um, I did hang around long enough to find, or let, let me say it found me, uh, a God of my understanding, which is the last thing I wanted here. I just wanted to be thin. That's all I wanted from you. And I didn't want that other stuff. I didn't know resentment from anything because you know, I had a grandmother that was my pusher. My mother went in the mental hospital when I was born. I, I was almost a 10-pound baby, and um, my father blamed me for her difficult time. And um, I, she was in labor like four days, and um, she probably had postpartum blues, but at that time, they didn't know that. So what did they do but threw her in the mental hospital and gave her like 40 i heard 37 shock treatments and in the meantime my father's mother took me over and she was kind of like an army tank and um she just took over and um she would she was a baker and candy maker of the town and she would sell it and um she would put in those days we did this is how old i am i just turned 78 in august and to think that I, you have kept me like 40 pounds, I mean, sorry, 40 years of the same weight, you know, um, I mean, I don't even add it all up now, but to think about it, because when I got here and walked into that room that day, they said two and a half percent of those who get their weight off will keep it off. And I went, Oh my God, I've got to do everything these people say, even though I didn't understand it. But the main thing I wanted was that gray sheet you gave me. That gray sheet, I knew that was my answer because that was that lady's answer. She didn't need any carbs. It said right on the sheet. And the minute it said it, I said, that is my truth. It said, 
We are carbohydrate-sensitive people. And I knew that was me. I knew I was a compulsive overeater. But in that room alongside of this lady are some pretty, pretty crazy people. Um, sorry, my phone went off. I thought I had it off. And um, there was one woman there, and she kept, she had like seven skirts on. And she would stand up and she'd take one from underneath out and she'd shake it in the air and she'd put it back on like that and put it over. Now every few minutes she'd decide that she needed the other skirt on. And I sat there in that meeting going, these people are crazy. I'm fat, but these people are crazy. But that lady's picture got me. And I hung around long enough to understand about the disease and the 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 line that we say don't pick up the first bite and you don't have to have the hundredth you know <clears throat> and go to bed empty and you wake up full you go to bed full you're going to wake up empty all those good sayings that you all taught me and um then i realized that i would work my alcohol into my food plan and I, clever as we all are, we all know the calories of everything, you know. Um, but I want to back up, and then I'll come back to that. I want to back up to my grandmother would put sugar into little gauze bags and tie them with a string. And in the 40s, rationing rationing of sugar had kind of just been lifted from the war. And so sugar was the big deal. And my grandmother started me out as infancy with the message, don't cry, don't upset us, you know, don't don't feel bad, have something sweet. So I'm a sweetaholic. But anyway, walked into the, to that room and I hung around long enough to get the weight off. I got it off right away, 10 pounds a month for 14 months. And I became crazy Zaloon. And um, they kept trying to hand me those steps. What steps? I just want to be thin. I just, you know, I don't want to, I just want to be thin. And I want to get away from these crazy people in this room, changing of skirts during the meeting and eating out of bags. And you could tell they'd go in the bathroom and eat and they'd have a bag and they'd keep slip. This one woman would slip her hand and she couldn't even sit. God bless her through a meeting without eating. And you see, you taught me the compassion in here. Yeah. If I, you know, if I'm overweight a hundred pounds, I'm going to be changing my skirts up and down now too. You know, it's just like the disease is not about the food, but it is about the food because if I'm chewing my booze in food form, I'm drunk. You know, and that I wouldn't have known that, you know, people don't realize for me that sugar is my drug of choice. And that if I put it in my mouth, you know, you can pass something in front of me and my eyes start glassing over, you know, um, I'm a, I'm glad I'm hardcore. I'm glad I'm a low bottom. I blacked out three different times at the toilet. I was a, a, a vomiter and um Way back then, um, we didn't talk too much about, but we didn't understand bulimia and anorexia and all those different forms. It was just starting, you know, to come in. But um, a group of us who couldn't stop binging and throwing up, we started a group over on Oxford called 
uh, vomit VA vomiters anonymous i mean let's call it like it is you know we didn't understand the like the psychological terms you know but i really never learned that behavior till i started trying to abstain but i will say that i i did um i moved around in the rooms and i also moved around in la i moved, finally ended up in the valley i was a makeup artist in the film business for 30 years and blessed in that way but i was on set 16 sometimes 18 hours a day locked in with all the food you could possibly eat and all the coffee finally had to get off coffee because my hands would shake so much you know trying to put on the eyelashes you just can't do it and drink coffee you know so but to stay awake and to be there um uh i ended up drinking because the degree she said i could have diet sodas you know so i must have drank four six packs a day or something to stay on do all that but during all that time i stayed abstinent because you told me you told me that was the beginning and you know the first half of the first step is what i work in a way i'm admitting i'm a hundred percent powerless in over food and um today i eat um three meals a day um i eat mostly what the gray sheet um still works for me i weigh and measure my food at home and um but i did um 23 years back to back of weighing and measured without exception in restaurants and everything um and it didn't bother me uh, i take my scale and i heck with them you know i want to stay at my goal weight and i did what i had to and to and as i aged um, i had medical issues that had to change my food plan somewhat but um, you know i don't think you're going to find any medical condition that is going to tell you put sugar back into your food I work the steps I I know the tool that gave me the most result in the rooms besides all of you um, was the pen you taught me pick up the pen instead of the fork get what you're feeling on paper the big book tells me what do i do with fear anger resentment get it on paper because then i can see the lies that i'm telling myself about me and about you if it's written in black and white and i don't let my sponsees um do it on computer type it they have to write it because you see all those feelings come through the arm and out the hand and onto the paper and that's where the truth lies of what i'm believing about myself and um i did not understand the word resentment until someone gave me a different word and boy did that click she said then write about your disappointments and wow that i understood because i come from uh the type of personality of i was there for everybody else but myself uh in fact in the rooms i got so gung ho in overeaters anonymous and gray sheet and i did how 10 years and i moved around within the different groups um 
because I was learning from each one something different. And I learned that, that I was more important than what anybody thought about my food scale. Um, and that I'd much rather see them see me with a food scale than waddle up to those, remember those old sizzler saddle, salad bars that some of us would go to the meet after the meetings and they, the plates would be like this, you know, and I learned not to eat that way. I learned that less is more and more is less and that really has been driven home but i can write about disappointment and then i can realize that everything on the um, page 449 which is now 417 in the big book about acceptance um i accept that anytime i'm disturbed i have to look at my thinking my perception my conditioning not yours and i've learned and i practice every day we say principles before personality i thought it meant your personality that i was supposed <laughs> to be overly you know reach the high road and be loving and forgive your personality no it's principles before my personality I got to go in and see what my personality has decided and judged about you. And uh, today I understand the difference in judgment and perception. I'm sorry, judgment and discernment. And I understand that it's all about the way I'm perceiving you. And you have taught me that food will not fix that. What will fix that is me getting out on paper reading it to one of you and you showing the light on the truth and now today instead of judgment i'm using the word adjustment i have to adjust the way i'm seeing things and i do get on my knees and i pray and i have a power of my understanding it happened during my fifth step i was agnostic until then i got up um i couldn't take step two i had not come to believe i couldn't take step three which told me to make a decision turn my will and life over to a care of god no i wouldn't do it but i wrote a fourth step and during that time i had a divine intervention and that divine intervention turned me in, in a 180 degree to understand there was a higher experience a higher presence of a spirit i it turned me from a third dimensional physical being to a fourth dimensional understanding what bill was talking about being pole vaulted into the fourth dimension i understood i was more than this little physical body that weighed whatever the numbers were and that I was a spiritual being having a human experience. That, okay, I'm going to wrap it up then. And all the times, um, I, I just want to bring back up the topic. I, I believe I'm supposed to. Um, and that is divine intervention. How something greater than yourself, whether it be the phone ringing and it's someone reaching out to you, are you going and having that ability to pick up the phone and call someone else or all the times that you were stopped 
you know, we look at the times sometimes if you're have, struggling, the times you have eaten, but have you looked at all the times that something greater than yourself brought you through with grace and you turn back and go, oh my God, I didn't eat over that. Or I didn't eat and here I was, all these people eating all this and I didn't eat. What is that? What happened? That's not my old self. So um, anyway, thank you for letting me share. I want to hear from you. And I used to go to the log cabin. I think this meeting used to be a log cabin meeting. And um, now I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, I'm abstinent and grateful. And it is indeed the most important thing in my life to stay sober and clear and abstinent. So thanks for letting me share. Um, now is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with uh, any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember the opinions of the leader are her own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you're on Zoom and you have a question, uh, please send it uh, to me during the chat and I will read it. We're going to alternate between live in the room and, uh, and in the chat. So, uh, I don't see any in the chat. Anybody in the room have uh, questions? It's going to be a very short meeting, folks. Yeah, go, we do. Um, okay, go. What, what do you do on a daily basis? What's your daily routine? I didn't quite hear that. What do I do on a daily basis and then what? What's your daily routine? Oh, my daily routine? First thing in the morning is to meet meet my God and in silence, um, practice my 11th step. And then I have from uh, 7 a.m. to 8 to uh, my sponsees calls. And then I have to walk my little chihuahua and have my breakfast. And uh, when I'm being, behaving, I go to the gym and... and <laughs> But I do get long walks every morning with my dog and um, then go on with my day. And I'm retired, but I volunteer all over town. And um, so doing different things. I, I work um, at a uh, independent film uh, uh, theater. Uh, I usher and clean the toilets and clean popcorn up. And today I'm, I'm at an art festival volunteering. Um, uh, we have our yearly one, and every day is different. Um, and I go to my meetings, um, mostly Zoom nowadays. I do have a couple of live AA meetings, but we don't have live OA here. I had it for a long, long time in my house. And then um, I will say that I had to learn to take care of myself in here. And when I, at one point, I had 17 OA sponsees. Wow. Now, that's, I mean, that's insanity, you know, but by God, I was going to work this program right, you know. <laughs> so um, I sponsor in Al-Anon and OA and AA, um, but I keep that down to, I mostly sponsor long-term people now, and I end up with about two newcomers um and that's about the load I can handle, and it's still a lot. I pretty much at a meeting, sometimes two, three meetings a day. Yeah, depending on uh, now that we have Zoom, you know, because I have to 
keep Humpty Dumpty, you know, up on the wall from falling. And it, for me, it takes, um, more than one program. Very, very active in ACA, in CODA, in Al, you know, in my, uh, many, when I lived in LA. And I have to practice those, but I go to, um, an Al-Anon a week and I go to about three OA and then I go to just about an AA every day. All right. We have a question online. How do you deal with your fears today? I put them on paper immediately on a list, black and white. What are they? And then I go over to the other side of the list and say, what would it look like if you didn't have that fear? And, um, and then I run it by somebody else. If I, if I don't get the peace, you know, in other words, if I'm, if I'm afraid of, uh, well, I don't know lately, but anyway, um, I, I, I find the solution on the line next to it. But fear is for me, forgetting everything is all right. All right. Do we have a live question, Stephanie? Mm-hmm. Yes, go ahead. My question is, in the movie business, how did you handle the chaos? When you were in the movie business, how did you handle the chaos? Whoa, in constant prayer. Constant, constant prayer. Um, the chaos started with me at home. Uh, I, my solution to the chaos started with me making my breakfast, my lunch, and my dinner, packing it and taking it with me. Their food was not my food, or I would have died. And so it began with the food being straight. Um, I, because I was also a meditation uh, person, once I found that spiritual awakening, I had to have more. I had to have more silence. And I learned how to meditate within, in the workplace. While I'm standing right there, I know how to go in. And I have this trick of, um, when things get, got chaotic, uh, I pictured the AA triangle going up and down like that and then over. And I realized that any conflict, if it was in my arena or my vortex or the makeup room, um, I would go straight up to God and say, God, we, I can't handle this. You ha- you take it. And then I'd watch spirit go down to the other person and then back. But if I went for it, if I bit the bait of chaos in, in joining in verbally, uh, it was then personality to personality and it never worked. So I got quiet. I go right into the silence and say, God take this you know and and i would just i backed up literally back up away from the energy and realizing it's all energy and i watch it transform i remember uh one specific time well several where they someone would come in the door and they'd be upset about something and you can feel that energy you know and i would that's where i practice these principles in all my affairs and I would just go straight to God. I just back up inside, go to that still small place within, go to my soul, go to my heart, not what I was thinking. And when I drop into that, the other person would literally in midstream forget what they were about to say. It was just absolute magic. 
And I don't, yeah, I, you know, I, to this day, I don't know how I stayed on those sets. And, um, one day they rolled up, it was Christmas and they rolled, uh, we had makeup rooms and then we'd have a little, uh, quick makeup little table near the back of this uh, set to where we could quickly, you know, redo lipstick or anything like that. And, um, this one day they, it was Christmas and they rolled out this giant silver fountain. I mean, giant with that brown stuff flowing over the fountain, like three tiers down, running all the time with tears and tears of everything. You could go over and stick your stick in and put it in the, you know, chocolate and, and they moved it right next to my table. And I said, God, you have got to be kidding. You have got to be kidding me, you know. But that's what I mean by divine intervention. When I turn to the divine, suddenly the, the magic happens. This, this room is magic. And uh, that night I made many, many, many calls out in though I didn't reach anyone I I got home abstinent all right the next question is how has your abstinence and your relationship to your higher power evolved over the years and program definitely evolved um well in my first I would say 20 years once I hit that silence I went to many many uh meditation retreats and I would sit hours. I loved the silence. Once I, once I met it or once it would pull me in that 11th step, seeking God through that silence and, and experiencing the presence of God, um, it's evolved in that I don't sit for hours anymore. Um, just it taught me how to drop, like I was talking about, right wherever I am, go within right now, go within, go within. Be still, be still. And um, my my mind has learned to lay down. It doesn't jabber at me anymore like it used to. Um, it's not filled with food ideas. And, um, it you know, it, it's not in that space anymore. It's more in the presence of what's happening right now. And um, the, the evolvement, you know, we say in the program, first I come... Then I come to believe. Then I come to, I'm sorry, first I come, then I come to, which means I get my drug of choice out of the way. Then I come to believe. And then I, and then I further it with, then I come to know. I know, it's not that I know what I know, but I know there's something greater than myself. And then I have added to, I come to experience. I'm, I'm experiencing that presence now more than sitting in that a total complete silence. I live and move and have my being in that spirit, which is far greater than anything I could stick in my mouth. That's your five minute warning. Stephanie, we have somebody live. Go ahead. Yes. How do you incorporate humor into your program? How do you incorporate humor into your program? <laughs> oh, what a lovely bunch of coconuts. <laughs> um, oh, I have to have the humor. Oh, my God. Um, 
I laugh all the time at what I do and what my friends do. And um, I've got a lot of long-term AAers around me too. And um, we laugh all the time at, at, at what's going on in ourselves. And what whatever it is that I'm taking so seriously is if you look for the humor, you find it. And um, it's... It, it, without that joy, and I think that's why I'm not, don't anyone take this personally, but I find us in OA to be a much more serious group, you know, uh, uh, than, than in AA. I, they've taught me how to laugh at what's going on and to enjoy the humor of it all. And, um, one time I, I also was learned, I led for like 25, 30 years, I led meditation retreats and, uh, one day I was sitting there, we were all meditating and a smile. And that's the other thing I've learned to smile during meditation, not sit there, you know, so serious. I think well, if God wants to hang around with me, I, I probably should be something delightful to be wanting to hang around with. So, you know, I've, I've learned to smile as I meditate, but I was sitting there and literally I heard the voice say, Oh, what a lovely bunch of coconuts. And ever since then, I've, I've thought of that. And in my, as I look at the screen, I, I just have such love and compassion for all the faces. And because you're God looking back at me, you know, and Chuck C, I, he was my first AA speaker there in that, that area of, of Los Angeles. And he says, if you want to know what God looks like, look into the eyes of the guy next to you. And I've never forgotten that. And he had a twinkle and he'd laugh and he'd say, if you're looking for God, you're not going to find him because, and I wrote this in my big book, that first AA meeting, because that which you're looking for, you're looking with. And I thought, I know that's the truth, but I don't know what it means. But if I hang around with these people long enough, they're going to show me what it means. That which I'm looking for, I'm looking with. And all I got to do is look in your eyes and, and see your smiles. And um, there's the humor right there. Oh, what a lovely bunch of coconuts we are, you know. Next question is, can you share about your sponsor? Oh, sure. Um, well, I've had different ones at different times. My AA sponsor died um I had her 38 years and she passed away about five years ago. And uh, I've had several sponsors. Uh, I, today I have a food sponsor um, that I text my food to. I actually connected with um, someone there in LA after years of us being in the rooms at the same times. You know, we came in with Roseanne and all those early girls, uh, Jean and Doris and Al Sines, who he taught me in the beginning about meditation a little bit before I moved on into retreats and things. But today um, I speak to, I have co-sponsors today. I have a woman who's been here 52 years and her and I share every morning. We give our food to each other. And then I still text my food to someone there right now because um, I wanted to clean up a couple of things um, that I just wanted to make sure my weight stayed under 130. And so um, I, I eat out a lot because I'm, I'm uh, very, so I live alone and I'm very social. 
And so I end up with my sponsees or friends and eating lunch, especially out. And so I, I have to be accountable. So, uh, at one time in Gray Sheet, my sponsor was a, um, lawyer. And I, I said, leave it to me to need an attorney to be accountable to for my food, you know. But that's the important thing is it's God. The magic of the room is God, myself, and one other human being. And if I don't include that human being, I'm not working on humility because humility, um, it's, it's just a built in factor that if I'm sharing that fifth step every day on my food, which is my downfall way before alcohol. But if I eat, I'm going to drink. And if I drink, I'm going to eat and my behavior is going to be real bad. So it's God, myself and at least one other human being. And I usually use more than that. That's your time, Dulcie. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, now it's time for the secretary's announcements. 